You're listening to the Plastic Shift Podcast. Welcome to the Plastic Shift Podcast. I'm Madhav Malhotra, one of the students at the Plastic Shift, and I'm reaching out to several experts working to solve issues with plastic pollution. This podcast showcases unique perspectives on this massive problem to identify what its most important aspects are. Today, I'm lucky to be joined by Laura Diaz-Sanchez, campaigner for microplastics at the Plastic Soup Foundation in the Netherlands. She manages the Ocean Clean Wash campaign, finding solutions to combat microfiber pollution that comes from washing textiles. I'm very excited to learn more about her thoughts on how to tackle this massive problem. So thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time and I'm very excited to learn about your foundation's work. And to begin, I'd just love to hear how you got started with this, how the initiative got started and some of the things that you're trying to achieve right now. Well, the Plastic Soup Foundation is an NGO based in Amsterdam and we, our focus is uh, plastic pollution, obviously. The way it started in, back in 2011 is because, so the director, Maria Vesterbos, she learned about the issue of microbeads in cosmetics. It really shocked her. She had been her whole life working on another completely different field, but she, she wanted to do something. So she started this NGO focused only on, on that specific subject, on microbeads from cosmetics. And then more and more things were coming up about the plastic issue. So she decided to focus on the sources of plastic, which is what we've been doing since then, since 2011. And then we try to stop them. That's where the fiber issue comes in. In 2014, we, we were approached by a few research centers in Italy and in Spain. And there was a project that was funded by the EU we could apply for, and we, we were the dissemination partner. It was called Mermaid's Life Plus. And it was really interesting because at the time, it was a subject that nobody heard about before. People know about plastic bottles, people know about plastic bags, but even today, Plastic from clothes is not something people are aware or they don't relate the two things uh, with each other. And then it's very then difficult to make just regular consumers understand that their clothes are also polluting the environment. So that's how we started. Mm -hmm. And when I went over your website and some of the details of your campaign, I think that it was great to kind of look at the research that you're curating and some of the facts that you're showing so that you can make sure consumers are educated and especially businesses, other stakeholders, etc., are educated about this. So I thought that was great. But then I also realized that you've done a lot of very unique work in helping people not just realize that this is a problem, but take the beginning steps in how to solve this problem. So I'd love to dive into that, but I guess, first of all, uh, we should lay a groundwork for what is the big problem when it comes to microfiber pollution? Yes, well, <laughs> the thing is, every time we wash our clothes, an average of 9 million microfibers get into the wastewater treatment plants, which are not able to filter and them, and then they end up in the ocean. So that is the main result that came out of this research that I was talking about before. And then it was also really shocking for us because we started in a very optimistic way we're going to stop this problem 70 percent at the end of this project and then you realize all these millions and millions you can't even picture them in your head that when you're putting just your polyester dress your acrylic scarf your nylon socks you put them in the laundry that they are polluting the ocean just by washing something else that we found out later is that 
also just by wearing clothes, there are also microfibers are being released in the air because of the friction just by walking around. And that's another issue. It's not only in the ocean, it's also in the air. So yeah, it, it was very important for us to make people understand, okay, this is, this is the problem. Your clothes are the problem, but you can also be part of the solution as a consumer. And we made a guideline, a washing guideline for, for consumers. That was like the best you could do to reduce microfiber release, which was basically to wash at the lowest temperature. So 30 degrees is fine. Try to fill your washing machine. Not, don't do half laundries, which is also good in terms of water usage and energy. So that's it's a win-win. Also, liquid detergent is a very good one as opposed to powder detergent which is something we also were very shocked because obviously liquid detergent comes in a plastic bottle and powder detergent comes in a cardboard. I'm not sure how it works over there, but in Europe, <laughs> that's, how, that's how it is. So obviously if you're thinking in terms of plastic, you think oh, I'm going to buy the cardboard box. But then when uh, these fibers are released into the environment, we can't take them back. And if powder detergent makes more friction among between the clothes when they are in the laundry, so there's more fibers are released. In the end, it's all about friction. The more friction among clothes, the more, the more fibers will be released. So that was one of the things that was very interesting. With the liquid and powder detergent, we also found that softener was helping a lot with less friction, obviously, between clothes, so less microfiber release. Of course, another one, uh, the tumble dry. Very interesting because obviously there's a lot of friction between clothes when you dry your clothes in a tumble dryer. So we say, okay, if you're going, you need to use it because you can't hang your clothes, then try to use the lowest revolutions possible because there's less movement, there's less friction. And then again, most importantly, I think for people is know what you're wearing, wash not as wash less. You know, don't you don't need to wash your clothes as much as you do usually. We wash a lot because it's, it's in our brain that it needs to be clean, but some, most of the times it's not that necessary. And in the end, buy less new clothes. We need to change a little bit the mentality of consumers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what kind of struck me about learning about all of these suggestions and guidelines that you've created is just the sheer complexity of being able to collect this together. Because personally, I know from trying to learn about microfiber pollution, if we look at the impacts that it has when we look at it down the line, so what actually ends up in the ocean, then we have lots of numbers for number of microplastics, the percents that come from different sources, etc. But then when it comes to even the most basic questions about how does this actually come from the source, from people actually, say, washing their clothes? Or what are even the impacts of these microfibers when they do end up in the ocean? There are so many unknowns. And I know that if you've been looking into this for a few years now, I'm sure that you've had to deal with a lot of uncertainty and update things as more science comes in. What are the kinds of approaches that you try to make sure that you can stay on top of new things and as new information comes along, if something isn't optimal, then adjust it. Well, yeah, that's definitely what you need to do when you start a project like this. You know, we had this information already when we started, we thought the numbers were much, much lower from just one research that came out. And then we did this research and the number, it was, it went from 2000 to 9 million for wash. So then we realized, okay, this is a 
constantly changing subject that the, we're learning more and we know more about the effects of all these fibers in the environment because obviously there's a lot of chemicals attached to them when you're during the manufacturing process. And also another issue we really are focusing on now as Plastic Soup Foundation is the effect of plastic on human health. So obviously with, when it comes to fibers, it's also very important because they have found fibers in people's lungs and we don't know exactly what they are doing there because of all the chemicals attached to them. Is our body able to, to get rid of them or not? You know, all these questions that we need to find out. And obviously this is not a lot of research. Yeah. And I think that because of this, it's really great to see foundations like yours doing the best that you can to get people accessible information. And we have a lot of foundations talking about just policy measures or just what consumers can do. But you had literally everything from technologies businesses can implement to what you mentioned about consumer guidelines to even policy options. So I'd love to hear about some of the more rare ones on that list, especially businesses, because oftentimes we don't get to see that. So what are the types of options you're proposing for businesses? And especially with the current changes, how is everything going on that front? Well, one of the most important things also came out of that research was, and also research that have happened afterwards, because we always base everything on science. Otherwise, there's no really ground that uh, where you can actually build things on. But this was very interesting because it, it, they just found out by, by chance that the first four or five washes of a garment are the, one, the, the ones that most fibers are released at the beginning of the life of this garment because of the manufacturing process, because it's a new item. And then after these four to five washes, the, re the fiber release is pretty stable. So that's where the research, usually when they monitor this type of leakage, that's where they base it on, after the fourth, fifth wash. Because the number of fibers are so high previously, it clogs the filters, it's, just, it's not doable. So they have to get rid of that and then measure after. And that was something they found by chance, they realized, and then we thought, wait, so... If the first washes are the ones that release the most fibers, then why don't we always wash everything five times before we sell it to the consumer? Of course, it's not a perfect solution. You know? that's, that's, it's, not, it's not one solution in this problem. That's the issue with the plastic fibers in the environment. You need to approach it everywhere. That's why it's important for businesses. But in this case, why don't we pre-wash these uh, this garments and we filter the water so we make sure that these fibers are already stopped. And then when the consumer receives this item, this clothing item, it's already much more environmentally friendly. Then something else even earlier in the chain is to design clothes in a better way. There is already in these guidelines that you, that you mentioned, the way the yarn is, if it's woven, if it's needed, it makes a difference in how polluting it is. So just looking into your own as a business, looking into your own chain and see where can I make changes in the design. You need to invest in this, obviously, but there are things that, that are available. And then this last thing that we, it was also part of the, of the research was not only about monitoring, but also looking for solutions was a coating for yarns that would also stop the fibers. So when you're washing it or just wearing it, which is something we also really like, less fibers will be released. And it's a coating made of byproduct from, it's pectin, it's a byproduct from citrus. So it's already something that it's used, it's in the market and it's biodegradable. It's not adding an extra chemical to the, to the garment. 
and it, it's only there's only preliminary results because obviously for this there's needs money this needs investment and the scientists they do what they can but it's really promising on nylon, nylon for example so that's something that's very interesting for us but in the end we're the communicators we need the businesses to to look at their own chain and and see where in the circle they can do things because it will be about applying solutions in every step not only the fashion industry the washing machine industry even end of life the the industry needs to be responsible for the products not only after sale also when at the end of life so collecting the garments making sure they're back in the circle so there's the least leakage possible Mm -hmm. and now i guess with the challenges that businesses are facing especially after covid businesses will hear that and now across the board businesses are being hit by challenges especially for the smaller businesses what are some of the ways you're thinking about making sure that we can incentivize businesses to invest in sustainability well i think that's one of the things that covid really showed us is that we need to care of the environment it is very important there's many issues this climate change you know this global warming you need to you need to care for the environment and we have been seeing an improvement in businesses they care more about it when i first talked to many many fashion businesses back in 2016 it was very challenging because it was not a thing they cared about they heard about the fibers they knew it was a little bit of a problem a threat they wanted to know the results, but then when we, I tried to follow up, okay, how are we working together to solve this? We have a set of solutions. We have, look here, we have these guidelines. You can do things, let's work together. Then I would only hear back from the small businesses. For some reason, a lot of them have sustainability really as the core of their business, while big corporations is not always a thing that they care about. But we, we have seen improvement in that, which is good. Before, it was just to cross a to-do list in the corporate social responsibility. Yeah, I've done something with plastic, great. But now it really is changing a bit. How to approach this now, even during COVID, we're still in COVID. It's, it's very complicated. The fashion industry is really struggling. But I am really hopeful that they see that how, because of all the things that happen, how we... we we need nature, we need the environment, and they need to be part of it. And in the end, consumers also have a big role to play in this because the way social media works now, a lot of people feel really connected to a brand as if they were a person. And that can work on our side really well because once you feel connected to a brand as a person, you have this reliability. And if you see, if you learn that this brand is doing something bad or something that goes against something you believe, you're going to take it more personal and say, well, I'm not going to buy from you anymore because you disappointed me. So the consumers have this role or they have this power of saying, hey, I want you to change because I like your brand and I like where you stand because it has become this sort of personality. And what you do is not okay. What are you going to do about it? Please change the way you, you, you make your clothes, the way you communicate, because I want to buy from a brand that I like because it's doing also these things for the environment. So hopefully, you know, consumers realize what the power, the power that they have and then businesses realize that they, they do need to change. They can't stay, they can't keep going the way they are. Fashion industry is already, they have already really bad fame. They have to change. Yeah, there are a lot of different avenues of problems 
that we've started to hear about in the last little while. And I think what's especially interesting about what you just mentioned is one of my hypotheses going into this is that it's not just that we need to get consumers to realize their power and get businesses to realize the importance of this. It's how do we facilitate that connection? Because oftentimes when I think of how NGOs or governments or other stakeholders can frame the connection here, like businesses, it's important for you to make a change because your consumers want this. It can be a little bit threatening. It can be a little bit negative. Either do this or you're going to lose your customers. Whereas I think that there is an opportunity for, say, an NGO, hypothetically, to kind of take the step in doing things like consumer research. Well, in the beauty industry, we see that consumers often want these sustainability practices and they're willing to pay like X percent more to get it. And historically, this has been something that I guess you might see a few researchers doing. We've spoken to a few of them like that. But I think that if we can facilitate this connection, then we could make a lot more progress. And it might be something that we see hopefully more NGOs take on in the next little while. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's what you said. There is research showing that people are willing to to spend more money if they know. But this is what like what I said. If I trust this brand and I like it, I don't mind. I'll pay a bit more if I know this is doing good for the environment. So mm-hmm. yeah, hopefully, hopefully I, I agree with you. I think we are starting to see we are starting to see a change. I am I'm trying to 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 be optimistic. Yeah, it's very important. And regarding that note of optimism, that finally leads me to my last questions for you about the future of what we can hope for in this industry. And in particular, I wanted to ask two big questions. The first thing is, what's the changes that we need to see to be able to tackle this problem? So what are the biggest nodes in the network, the largest corporations, stakeholders, governments that can make a change in this issue? And if you were to see them transition away from the current problems we have to the best of their ability. What are the types of changes that would be required to achieve that? Well, I think governments play a really, really big role in this. One good example we have here in Europe is France passed a law recently that all new washing machines need to have a filter installed from 2025. And it was very interesting the way it went because it was, it was very fast. It was this one minister and she really pushed for it. And they had a meeting with all the stakeholders, obviously, to discuss all of this. We were also invited. And she, she didn't care that the fashion, the, sorry, the washing machine industry, they were pushing back. You know, she said, I don't care. I know this is a problem and I know this is a solution and we can apply it. So we're going to do it. And it's going to happen. But she pushed for it. You need one person in a government, one person in a company even, in a business that wants to fight for this and that can make a change. You need one person inside that pushes for it and that's how you make the change. We are an external entity, an NGO pushing. We are the the bad guys for them, but you need someone inside to to make the change and and those are the ones who push. So we're hoping that this French legislation will go at the European level in the coming years. We're really, really hopeful. And we also hope that other governments like the Dutch government, where we are based, they are also pushing for it. Not as strong as the French one, but we're also in conversations with, with the government, which is very interesting because that means that they want to, to do something. So 
I don't think we can underestimate the power of that because in the end, it's a law. And if it's a law, it will have to, it will have to happen. If you're waiting for voluntary commitments, I think a good example is the microbeat issue with the beauty industry. They promised already back in 2012, yes, we will phase out all microbeats from our products, but then they replace them with other stuff. So I don't care about voluntary anymore. You didn't prove me that you could change. Now we're going to go for the legal way. So now the European Union is going to ban a lot of microplastics in cosmetics. So that is a win. It took a few years, but it happened. So hopefully we see this type of change also in the fashion industry. And yeah, legislation is, is a really big, important tool for this. Mm -hmm. And finally, if you could think about your role as an organization, in trying to bring about these changes. I know that a bunch of stakeholders are now looking at the opportunities presented after the slowdown to think about how can we optimize areas that we maybe had been ignoring before? How can we use this as an opportunity to grow more and make it ideal for the changes that we do next? So in regards to that, if you had the ability to think about one area of the Plastic Soup Foundation's work, or maybe your own campaign as part of that, that you'd like to, I guess, take the first priority at bringing about some changes in optimizing, what would that area be? There is, this is actually something we've been working on, and it's the next step in our campaign about fibers, and it's testing clothes. What we want is the companies to test clothes, and everybody has the same benchmark, so it's not about how big or how small you are, or whatever your name is, or how sustainable, I don't care. Everything is on the same standard, and everybody can test their clothes, and then we know, based on the standard that scientists have already patented, how much these clothes are polluting the environment. And then when you are on that scale as a company, you can choose, okay, you're working with us. We're going to help you make these decisions. Because that's, like I said, a little bit difficult when you're only talking this, we tested a few clothes from this brand and it was million fibers. And they say, well, Ben, they are not mine. They're not my clothes. So, well, now you can, you, you will be able to know if they are your clothes, how much your clothes are polluting. So we think that this is really, this is really going to help the fashion industry actually take a step and, and hopefully they will, there will be front runners that, that want to be ahead of this. There's a lot of brands who care about this issue. So we're, we're pushing for that. This is actually our, our next step and hopefully it will work. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a really cool future to imagine because I can envision some kind of possibilities in incorporating, I guess, this aspect of sustainability with other aspects. So looking at ethical sourcing when it comes to, we have often problems in the fashion industry in the past regarding child labor or where the products are produced. And I think that if we can integrate these different measures of sustainability, and maybe, I guess, create a common standard or some way for consumers to know when they're actually buying the product, what is actually the environmental impact of the choices I'm making in a clear way. I think that could go a long way to, towards making a change. So I think that's a really cool idea. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next with your foundation's work on this. Thank you. I'm also really looking forward to it. So if anyone wants to learn about the Plastic Soup Foundation and this campaign, where might they go? 
Well, you can find us everywhere on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and or just go to our website, plasticsoupfoundation.org. All right. Well, I'm sure if anyone's curious, then they can check out those links. And thank you again for taking the time to explain about your work today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.